You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. And now, here is your host, Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Ebema. And this morning, I have one of the founders of Loose Ends, Mercy Kaplan. Welcome to the show. Thank you for the invitation. So you, you and your friend, Jen Simonic, uh, started uh, the Loose Ends Project. Could you define it for us, and then could you be, uh, tell us why you started it? Sure, yeah. So the Loose Ends Project, we're an organization that matches volunteer handwork finishers with projects that people have left behind when they've died, or projects that people can't finish or can't work on anymore because of illness or um, disability. And um, the finishers, the volunteer finishers, finish up the projects and then return them back to the families and friends they were being made for originally. And those projects can be any kind of textile or fiber arts related handwork. So knitting, crochet, weaving, quilting, needlepoint, cross-stitch, we have rug makers. We have people who do some kind of cool things we had never heard of before, like nail bending and broomstick crochet. And we did this because we both see knitting as a gesture of love toward another person. Like when you're making something with your hands for another person, or or even when you're you know, and even when you're cooking for another person or building something for another person, it's love in action. We were together last, this past summer of 20, the summer of 2022. And we were um, with a mutual friend who had recently lost her mother. And we were helping that friend kind of go through her mom's bag of supplies that she had left behind. And she had knitting needles and yarn and all kinds of things in there. And we found that there were two unfinished, partially begun blankets that her mom was making for her two brothers before she passed away. And um, at the time she was doing treatments, cancer treatments, and wasn't feeling well. And her, her stitches were, we'll say, perfectly imperfect. They were kind of tight. They were, it, it didn't matter. Like she just wanted to get these project started. And I think ambitiously wanted to get them finished before she died. And when we found them, Jen and I were each going to take one each and try to finish them up for our friend's brothers. And I had been playing with, I've been toying with the idea of Loose Ends Project for a few years, uh, just kind of dreaming about it, thinking someday I would try to see if I could make this happen. And I tried to get, I, I encouraged Jen to do it with me because she's very creative and fun to work with and just a lovely, empathetic person. And I thought I would want, I want her on my team to do this together. And we were sitting there looking at these partially begun blankets thinking, do we really, <laughs> and neither of us are like great at crochet. Like we're not big crocheters. <laughs> we were thinking, okay, <laughs> we're going to each take one of these and finish them. And they're going to be gigantic. And they're only just begun. We were about to do that. And I thought, Hey, maybe now's the time to, <laughs> to launch 
this effort and we can use these two blankets as our first project. And so we convinced our friend Patty to let us do that. And, you know, and that was a big deal too, because, because her mom had uh, begun them and, and we were asking her to let go of them for a little while to, to put them in the mail. And they were precious to her. You know, they had her mom's DNA all over them. I mean, we, I don't know if Saul, I don't know if you're a knitter or a crafter at all, but your hands are all over all of it all the time. Right. Yeah. And so it is very personal. Yeah. So that was the very, that was the, those are the roots of Lucen's project. We thought having both finished projects in the past for friends who'd lost their moms, we were thinking like, there's an opportunity here for strangers to do this for each other. And what would that look like? Right. What it's already, I mean, if you, if you have a partial project and you know, a crafter, it's already something people have been asking each other to do quilting groups, do it for each other. When someone passes away, people kind of come in and, and typically like, even without asking, we've heard a lot of stories about quilters who just kind of come in and finish the work and give it back to the family. So that concept isn't new. It was just a matter of doing it on a larger scale, maybe for people who didn't know someone who could finish it for them. And then bringing in the element of having strangers do that for one another, which I think beyond getting a finished project back also it offers another level of community support and love that maybe someone didn't know existed. Mm. A lot of times we're matching people who live right near each other and just never knew each other. So, yeah. In your initial imagination of the idea, uh, were you thinking of it as a business or as a charity? Charity. And it is still a charity. It's it. And we, and we um, did go forward with making it an official 501c3 nonprofit. So it is a charity. There's no money, no money exchanges hands for any of the work. So everything's done by volunteers. On occasion, there's an expense for shipping a project. If, if we can't match it locally and it has to go into the mail, there'll be a shipping charge on the part of the project owner. And likewise, uh, most of the time, the materials have been left behind. Um, so a family will find a project and the yarn will be there already, or the fabric will be there already, or the embroidery floss. And it's there, but every so often it's missing and we need to, you know, there's an expense with, with um, buying that so that it can be finished. But otherwise, all of the labors for free. Yeah. Messi, I've I've noticed that even in other projects, uh, you're more giving of yourself to your community, to the neighborhood, and uh, what what drives you to uh, have that motivation to help others? I think that we're all connected, and I think that we're all down here living this life. That's a big mystery, and everyone has their own story, but no one really gets away without pain right? Of all varieties. And I do believe that at least for me, it helps me to 
be here in this world and try to make other people's lives easier if I can. In grief specifically, um, that is that is something that really nobody gets out of here without experiencing. It's kind of the universal experience. Every human, you know, I mean, I suppose if you live long enough and you love people, it's what we all, one of the things we all have in common is we're going to experience loss. And so, and my mother growing up was a grief therapist. And that was my first experience with hospice is that she used to, she did her internship at a hospice. And so from a very young age, I was aware of end of life experience. And so I'm sure that that planted some seeds too of this specific kind of work. Have you encountered any projects that you are afraid of touching for fear that you might ruin it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't finish the projects. So, so I don't personally touch any of them. However, uh, because Jen and I match them. So we have this, a database with more than 17,000 volunteer finishers in it. When a project comes in, Jen and I take a look at it. We take a look at the submission. We read about it. Um, we read what the person who submitted it told us about it. And then we, we look at the pictures and a lot of times the people who submit the project don't necessarily know what they have either. So, so the answer is yes and no, no, I don't personally worry about destroying anything because I don't ever touch it or even see it in person, but it is my responsibility to match it well with the right person. And so I have to make sure that it's going to go into the hands of the right person who isn't going to, who's going to be able to give it the skill that's required and the respect that's required. And Jen and I don't really train the finishers. Finishers just kind of know. I mean, so far, I'm going to knock on wood. So far, the finishers who have come to be volunteers with us have automatically treated uh, all of the projects with just this reverence, like this understanding of how important they are to the person who submitted them. Some of the projects are simple to do, and some of them do require a lot more skill. And sometimes they've been around for over a hundred years. We had an, um, a 90 year old man submit a needlepoint that his grandmother had started. And so how old is that piece? I don't know. Really, it's it's it was maybe the most harrowing one to match so far because we were yeah. like, oh, this is beautiful. And you can't even get the any kind of string to match it anymore. So um, so yes, we're very, very careful with matching and making sure that the person who's going to be finishing a project has the skills required. With that, we'll take a little break again. Our guest is Messi Kaplan. She's one of the founders of the Loose Ends Project. We'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. 
Apostle Ebem and we continue our conversation with Mercy. Uh, are there other uh, interesting projects that you've encountered through Loose Ends Project? We have helped to facilitate the completion of probably close to 2,000 projects. And so many of them have been so beautiful. And we have, Jen and I are regularly brought to tears, just reading, both reading the submissions of the projects, but also we get to see a lot of times the back and forth relationship that starts to happen between the project owner and the finisher as they're working on it. I think the first one that really hit us was a young man whose young wife had passed away from cancer. And she had left a scarf he had found on her bedside that she was making for him. And we were able to match it to somebody who lived nearby who came and picked it up. This particular finisher did not know how to do the stitch yet. She put the project aside and practiced for a while on something else, putting so much more, and it's a hard stitch. I mean, it's called brioche stitch. I don't know if anyone has heard of it, but it's tricky. And she learned it. So she put in something called a lifeline. And a lifeline is when you take um, your knitting and you take a needle with just a long piece of thread and you weave it through the top live stitches and you just leave it there. And then you continue on doing your work. And then if you mess up or if you have to pull it out or if something happens to it, you are able to then pull the work out that you've done and it won't go any farther. So it's a way of protecting the stitches from below. And so she did that to protect um, his wife's stitches from ever being touched because we didn't want to accidentally um, do any kind of damage to her work. So that was beautiful. And then I I was telling my husband this story early on just because I thought it was so moving. And he just, he stopped and he said, it's called a lifeline. And I said, yeah. And he go, and he just burst into tears in the kitchen. <laughs> and he's like, that's so perfect. It's like such a, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful, I mean, it's originally just, it's your lifeline. It like saves you, but it's also a distinction between the life of the original crafter. Right. Yeah. And it shows the work of the stranger who came in to do this for you. And so that was an early, beautiful moment, I think. And that project was finished. And then there was some extra and the finisher made a couple of extra things for him out of it and was returned it. And, and another related beautiful thing that happened that we did not expect is our finishers started to mark the final stitch of the original crafter by either putting a little marker on there or by going in with a needle and thread and doing a um, duplicate stitch over, just to show this is the last stitch. And this is where I took up the work and continued on. And so, uh, and that's always just a very beautiful moving thing to see. And sometimes that's, the, <laughs> sometimes those get a little bit big and mm. 
obvious, <laughs> depending on the finisher. And sometimes they're subtle and they're just maybe on the inside of the work just for the person to know about. But we have hundreds of pictures of those stitches, just the final stitches, uh, just being noticed and marked. And that's really been beautiful to see. We have quilts. We had a quilt recently that was submitted by the best friend of the original quilter. The original quilter died in a car accident uh, with her husband and his child. And her best friend submitted the project to be finished for her surviving daughter, who's very young. And so these kinds of stories regularly have Jen and I in tears. It seems to affect finishers the same way that it affects us. And obviously, that's why they signed up to be volunteers in the first place. But people are just bringing so much empathy and and care to each project. and. It's just amazing to see. It's amazing to see every single time. I really look at the Loose Ends Project almost as a therapeutic tool uh, to, to some extent helping people who are grieving. It's very personal. And I feel like it's a way to feel close to that person again, to be wearing a garment they were making or to be wrapped in a blanket they were making or even to be Having a piece framed in a room nearby you is something you can hold. It's something you can touch uh, that was important to that person. And I think that that is comforting to people. And I know that has certainly been the case for me personally in the past, like to have something that my loved ones made special and to be able to hold it just if you feel closer and it's and it is it's comforting and grief with that we'll take a little break and we'll be right back if someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support please call the national alliance for mental illness helpline it is a free nationwide peer support service providing information resource referrals and support to people living with a mental health condition to contact the nami helpline please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. I'm Sole Berman. We continue our conversation with Mercy Kaplan. Uh, is there a timeline for the project to be finished? That's a great question. So, No, we don't put, because all of the finishers are volunteers and people are doing it in their own time, sometimes fitting it in between full-time jobs, full-time students, raising families and all of the things that take up our time. We don't put any pressure on people to rush through a project. Uh, However, sometimes people can't wait to get started and really do prioritize it and get it done quickly. Some projects have been going on for, you know, nine months or more, especially if it's a project that requires a lot, like a hand-stitched quilt or, and, and also all of the projects are in various stages of being done. Some were just begun and some of them were close to finished. And so 
it really runs the whole range of how much time everything takes. And at the end of a project, when we reach back out to people, to the finishers, to ask them about their experience, we send a little survey out to see how it went. How did it feel? What could we do better? How long did it take you? Sometimes people answer three hours. We've had somebody answer 300 hours. So it really is a range. Everything's different. And we let people know right from the beginning, we let project owners know that we're not going to impose any kind of timeline on anyone. But every so often, there is a project that does need to get done more quickly, especially if it's for a young child that won't fit into it anymore, if it takes a whole year. Every once in a while, there's a special birthday coming up or an anniversary and someone wants the surprise um, gift. And so as long as we know upfront, we can ask for a finisher who can, and if and a finisher can always say no. So when we, whenever we offer a project to a finisher, they can always decline. Uh, so if there's a timeline that is important, we'll communicate that upfront and it can be accommodated usually. Yeah. So are there any projects that loose ends will not accept at all? Mm. So we have been asked to match woodworking projects. Uh, We have not successfully done so yet. Uh, We don't straight out decline them, but we, because when finishers sign up with us, they tell us all of their skills and they will say things like, I knit, I quilt, I do cross stitch and I do metal work and I am a carpenter. So we do know that a lot of people in our circle do have skills for things other than handwork. Um, and if somebody comes with to us with a, with a weird request, we'll actually search and see if we can find somebody because why not, right? You may yeah. as well try, but we haven't uh, successfully matched woodworking. Woodworking has to be matched really locally just because it's a big piece of furniture usually. Um, we will not accept projects that have been uh, damaged by any kind of creatures such as moths, Um Anything that would potentially bring an, a you know moth or moth eggs into someone else's yarn stash, that's a big, scary red flag for people. We will not accept projects that are just people are bored of doing themselves and just want someone to finish it for them. That's not what we're doing here. So the Lucens project has been there, you said, for about one year now. And through that process, you've really brought a lot of connections. You've touched so many lives. And I wonder, has it met your expectations? <laughs> um, I think it far surpassed both Jen and my expectations. I think that when we, when we tried this out, uh, I'm going to say, I'll say two summers ago because it's fall now, but it was September of 2022 is when we built the website and it really was with, I think it was with no expectations either, but, but hope. And we built it and we started to 
you know, we, we made flyers, we handed them out locally to where we lived. We joined online groups and tried to get people to pay attention to us. And we did not know where there was going to, where this was going to go, who would care besides us. Um, we've been, we've been blown away by how many people care, um, and how many people have signed up and really had no idea how big this would grow so fast. And how, I guess, I guess because knitting for me is such a solitary thing. I don't, I do go to a knitting group, but it's so personal. It's hard to really recognize how many other people do this and, and, and find it important, valuable work. And then um, how many people actually have projects hiding in a closet in their house or, and we did not know what to expect with that. And it, it's been really exciting and really, it's just been really, really nice to see both how many projects have come in and how many people have signed up to help. And I would say definitely surpassed anything we could have imagined. So the Lucens project has a lot of uh, volunteer finishers who are waiting for project. If you're listening and you have a project at home, please uh, reach out. So can you talk to our listeners? What kind of projects should they send to you? It is all up on the website at lucensproject.org. Yeah, right up on the top is the long list. And if we're missing something, we would love to know about it. Every so often we will get a project that is <laughs> that's new to us. We're all still learning here and kind of going with the flow and figuring it out as we go along. And we have lots of amazing support. We have some museums that have signed up to help. We have that group of 8,000 finishers have signed up to help. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. This has been great. That was Messi Kaplan. She's one of the founders of the Loose Ends Project. You've been listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. Our project manager is Melissa Caprelian. Our engineer is Brian McIndoe. And I'm Sole Bema. Thank you for listening. This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to the show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.